listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. The next few minutes that we spend together in the Word of God, Luke chapter 18, turn with me, are going to be among the most significant in your life because you're going to realize where you stand with God. You're going to be able to help someone else understand where they stand with God. And you're going to be able to breathe a sigh of relief when you make the right decision, when you make the right choice about what it means to walk with God and to receive what he gives to you, what he gives to me as a gift. Luke chapter 18 in verse 9, he, Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. They rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do you receive the kingdom of God? How do you receive anything that God has for you like a child? The particular infant that Jesus is speaking of, the particular type of a child is one who's of such an age that they're not able to do anything for themselves completely incapable, totally reliant upon someone else to do everything for them. All they can do is just receive what somebody else does for them. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that's why Luke is grouping these statements, this parable, and this incident of them bringing little infants to Jesus together because they teach the same thing. The only way that you can receive anything from God is by letting God give it to you. You and I are completely, totally, utterly helpless, just like an infant. In fact, Jesus says no one can receive the kingdom of God. You can't receive anything from the hand of God unless you're like a little infant, completely incapable of doing anything for yourself. An infant has to have their dirty diaper changed by somebody else, and don't you love it? Don't you remember those glory days when you had children? And you opened up that nice little package at your child's bottom. And there was a nice, rosy-smelling delivery just for you. The infant depends upon somebody else to change the diaper. 
The infant depends upon somebody else to mix the formula or to bring it up to the mother's breast to feed it. The infant is entirely dependent upon somebody else to nurture and care for it. If somebody abandons the infant, the infant is in big time trouble and will not survive. And Jesus is saying, don't make any mistake about it. This is why he's deliberately helping us understand the imagery. He's saying, you have to become exactly like that before you can receive anything from God. Before you can enjoy the goodness of God, before you can experience the salvation of God, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, goodness, any and every single blessing of God is literally a gift from God that you didn't deserve, that didn't originate with you, didn't originate with me. It originates literally from the hand of God. And that's important to understand here because we have two men in this parable. A Pharisee, and the equivalent of an IRS agent. A Pharisee would be equivalent to maybe somebody who's been teaching and ministering in the church for a very long time. That's what the Pharisee was. Now, that doesn't mean that just because you teach and preach and minister in the church for a very long time that you have to become a Pharisee, but the danger is that you will become like a Pharisee. I have found a frightening propensity in my own heart and maybe you have too, that the longer I know God, the longer I've been following God, the easier it is for me to forget how I began to be a follower of God. As an infant, helpless and hopeless and completely dependent upon God to do not some of the things, but everything for me. See, I've also found that in a number of years being in ministry that some of the most difficult people to deal with are not people in the world. You don't know Jesus? (laughs) But you want to know Jesus? No problem. If your heart's wide open, and we'll look exactly what that looks like in just a moment, if your heart's wide open... It's not difficult to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, to lead somebody to the feet of God when somebody realizes their need. The problem is, with those of us who have known God for a long time, we think we know everything there is to know about God. We forget that we came to know God because of his goodness, not our own. And we begin to become Pharisaic. We have all the answers. We know everything that there is to do about walking with God, following God. Listen, most of the things that I share about how to walk with God are through my own personal failures. You should be thanking God for failure because through it, God teaches lessons. The things that have happened in your life, the things that have happened in my life are really for the glory of God. Even failure, when you learn from it, becomes something that God can be glorified through if only you're willing to share it. And I have to constantly watch my own heart as a lead pastor, as somebody who leads a ministry, as somebody who is trying to make leaders out of leaders and take men and women, boys and girls, deeper and higher in their walk with God. I have to watch and make sure that I am really walking with God myself, first and foremost. That anything and everything that I teach or preach or say or do is an overflow of my personal walk with God. Otherwise, You don't want to follow a Pharisee 
Jesus warned very sternly against following a Pharisee, somebody who had been around a very long time, somebody who knew the Bible very well, somebody who forgot where they came from, somebody who was incapable of taking other people where they should be going. That's my job. I'm not called to deliver eloquent messages. I'm not called to say things that then you remember and you start exalting me. My calling, whether I'm preaching, I'm preaching a sermon or counseling somebody individually or whether I'm meeting with a group of people, my only purpose in life is to point people to God and that's your purpose too. And you can't point people to God if you forget that it's all about God. You can't point people to God if you forget that you must, in order to enjoy, to appreciate, to enter, to experience the kingdom of God, you must be just like an infant. There's something significant for you to understand, for me to understand that God does not want you to mature to the point of forgetting your absolute, utter, moment-by-moment dependency upon him. I don't care if you're eight or 85, 88, 98, 108, it doesn't matter. It's absolutely vital and important for you to remember that dependency upon God is everything or it will be nothing. Notice the two players in this drama. There's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. They were both looked down upon for different reasons. Only one of them is spoken of highly by Jesus. The other one is one who digs his own grave. Through his own words, he helps us understand his own failure and why he was not justified. We're going to look at that million-dollar word in just a moment. What does it mean to be justified? But first, let's look at the Pharisee. The Pharisee, in verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Hmm. The Pharisee, commits a comparison quaff. You know what a quaff is? You might think that it's a a drink. You might think it's a funky hairdo. There are multiple definitions of the word quaff, Q-U-A-F-F. But the one I'm speaking about, a quaff that I'm speaking about is the... The quaff that I'm speaking about is that unmistakable... If you've ever drank too much, you know what a quaff is. It's that unmistakable guttural heaving or maybe you've had the flu and just before you brought it all up and out you had a quaff and once you have a once you quaff there's no turning back it's coming up and out whether you've been drinking or whether you've got a stomach virus a quaff is that unmistakable guttural heave ho from deep down in the recesses of who you are That tells you, watch out world, here it comes. That's what a quaff is. And this Pharisee commits a comparison quaff. And if you're not careful, you'll do it too. You'll make the mistake of thinking that God's comparing your life to somebody else's life. He's not. Never was, never will. And see, once the Pharisee quaffs, says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Everything else that comes out of his mouth, watch out world, here it comes. The list goes on and on. See, we all have grades and standards and measurements through which we kind of make ourselves feel good. 
but they're false. Because God never told you, never told me, never told anyone that we're going to be justified, and we'll get to that word in a moment, we're going to be forgiven, we're going to be recipients of mercy based on how we live our lives according to somebody else's life. If that was it, we wouldn't have Jesus on the cross. Wouldn't have a resurrection authenticating the validity of the cross as paying for all of your sins and all of my sins. So the Pharisee commits that comparison quaff, making the fundamental mistake that God is going to compare him and all of his deeds, all of his tithing, his fasting, his praying, his quote-unquote goodness, his memorization of scripture, his being a teacher, leading people, what actually was astray from God instead of to him. Pharisee was taking comfort in his own righteousness as if it was righteousness, but it was a false righteousness because the only righteousness that really counts is righteousness before God. The only statement of righteousness that you should be interested in is the statement made from God's mouth to your ears, to your heart, to your life, to your spirit. The only righteousness that matters is the righteousness of God because Romans 3 23 says this, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, great verse to memorize and commit to memory, get it deep down in the recesses of who you are, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not the glory of man that God's interested in. If it was, then he would allow you, he would encourage you to compare yourself to other people. It's the glory of God that you and I fall short of, that the Pharisee fell short of, that the tax collector fell short of, that every lead pastor falls short of, every elder falls short of, every deacon falls short of, every Sunday school teacher, every pumpkin roll baker falls short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and missed God's standard because God's standard is perfection. God's standard is flawlessness. God's standard is sinlessness. And you and I have a problem. It's called sin. That makes us unrighteous. That makes us condemned before God. The gavel can come down and we are guilty. The gavel has come down. We are guilty before God. So the Pharisee makes the fundamental mistake, that comparison quaff of missing. How about that? Knowing all of that Old Testament knowing all that scripture, fasting, praying, tithing, doing all the things that a religious, devout Pharisee would do, and he is, in spite of all of that, not declared righteous because through no works of the law will anybody be declared righteous. Romans 3, 20 says that. Nobody is declared righteous through observance of the Old Testament. And if it's not the Old Testament that we could obey to make us righteous, then what makes you, what makes me think that there's something apart from the Old Testament that we could do that would make us righteous? Listen, if the Old Testament wasn't good enough to make you righteous, then nothing in the 21st century that you can do is going to make you righteous. If God wrote the book, and he did, in adherence to the book, every single word, every single letter of the book still does not make you righteous, then what about things that we might involve ourselves in that are outside of the book, that we think are righteous? Well, who are you, mere mortal? Who am I, mere mortal? To recreate a standard 
outside of what God has created. God's standard is perfection. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's no excuse for continuing to sin. It opens our eyes to the need that we have, which is urgent and pressing and serious and significant. See, only one of these guys was declared justified. That's the million-dollar legal theological word in the Bible that you need to know what it means, justified. When a person is justified, when you are justified, you could say it is just as if I'd never sinned. (laughs) You realize how significant that is? When a person has had all of their sins forgiven, they are justified. When God has given them mercy, when God has given you mercy through receiving Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, Jesus himself, the person and the works of Jesus, you can say that now, then and only then, it is just as if I'd never sinned. And what God does at that very moment is Romans 3, 23 is taken care of. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but then you're justified. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, I want you to understand that what Luke is presenting here in Luke 18 is the attitude of somebody just before they are justified. The attitude of somebody just before they're justified. Look at the, the tax collector. Look at the tax collector in Luke 18, 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, in Psalm 51, verse 17, potent passage of scripture that you do well to commit to memory and understand here, Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Does God want your money as much as he wants a broken spirit? Does God want your house as much as he wants a broken spirit? I know some other people who might want your house, but God's more concerned with the broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. This is exactly, precisely what the tax collector gives to God. And that's why the tax collector and not the Pharisee is declared justified. And Jesus summarizes it all there in verse 14, the second part in Luke 18, 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When it comes to being justified before Almighty God, attitude does determine altitude. Your attitude toward yourself, toward your own sin, your attitude toward God and understanding his flawless, sinless perfection is absolutely fundamental if you're going to be justified before him. What we're seeing here, what Luke is addressing his attention to is the whole idea of the attitude of a person before they are declared just by God, before they can say it's just as if I'd never sinned. Now, this is a parable. It's a story bringing out a principle. 
And you need to understand that one of the greatest gifts that you can give God in your life is the gift of your brokenness. This is what you give to God. That's what you bring to the table. That's what I bring to the table. You give to God the gift, the gift of your brokenness because a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. In fact, a broken and a contrite heart is what God absolutely requires as a precondition before he can take away your sin, my sin, anybody's sin, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the tax collector in this parable is commended because he gives to God what the Pharisee would not give. God doesn't want your education if it's not given to him as brokenness, as an offering. God doesn't want your money if it's not given to him out of brokenness and humility. God doesn't want, fill in the blank, if it's not given to him out of a broken and a contrite heart. What is a contrite heart? What is it that this tax collector gives to Almighty God that the Pharisee was not willing to give? To be contrite is to be of such brokenness, such humility, that you are willing to do and to give whatever it takes. You're willing to do for God whatever it is that you find out he wants from you. You're willing to give to God whatever it is that you know God wants you to give. 99% obedience is nothing if there's 1% of disobedience. It is often the 1% that holds us back in life. Listen, you know And I am speaking from experience. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have a conscience that's been sanctified and being sanctified. You have the word of God. You know the area or areas of your life that you may be withholding from God and no amount of sacrifice of the other 99% will compensate for the 1% that you're withholding. And I know that firsthand. The greatest gift that you can give to God is the gift of your brokenness. The greatest gift that you can give to yourself is the gift of your own brokenness to God because without brokenness, there's no such thing as humility. Without humility, there's no such thing as having the attitude that God does indeed require before he can declare it just as if you'd never sinned. Before God justifies a person, that person has to come to terms with the reality that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There has to be humility. There has to be brokenness. There has to be repentance, turning from your sin. That's what it means to be broken. That's what it means to be humble. That's what it means to have the attitude that God himself requires before he justifies an individual. Now, it's not just something that God requires before he justifies. It is also the cardinal characteristic of somebody after they've been justified. And why is it that we forget the importance of brokenness in the sight of God? Your life and my life as a follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a perpetual, continual surrender and resurrender, a breaking and a a re-breaking and a breaking and a re-breaking and a 
over and over and over again with God. That's your new commitment. That's what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. You die to yourself to get into the kingdom of God. You become like an infant to get into the kingdom of God. Completely hopeless and helpless, but God gives you hope. God gives you help. And then we mature in the kingdom of God the same way. Through brokenness and humility. It's a key ingredient that God must have before he can say, it's just as if you'd never sinned. And it is a key ingredient of somebody who's continuing to walk with Jesus Christ. When you see somebody who's not walking with a contrite heart, not walking in humility, not embracing brokenness, which are words and terms and concepts that just don't compute today in 21st century American Christianity, but yet they are not erased from the Bible. It's central to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Brokenness is the greatest gift you'll ever give to God. In fact, it's the only gift you could give to God apart from his help and enabling. But oh, how precious and sweet and special it is. It opens the floodgates of the goodness of God. Your inability is an invitation to the Spirit of God to come and do what you can't do for yourself. Your brokenness is the door that you open for God to come in and to make whole what you messed up. He knows that. Brokenness is absolutely important. Look with me at the book of Romans, chapter three. Let's take a look at the book of Romans. Because we not only understand the importance of the attitude determining the altitude when it comes to soaring with God, when it comes to being declared just, just as if you'd never sinned. In Romans chapter three, beginning in verse 21, we begin to get an understanding of the process and the components of justification. Look what Paul says here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That's a reference to the Old Testament. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's that word again, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. Look at this, verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The component of faith, absolutely important. Absolutely important. The component of faith in God's process of justifying a person. Which person? A person in your seat. Every single person on the planet That component of faith, absolutely essential. Now, don't get hung up in the amount that I'm putting here, whether it's two eggs in a bowl or a quarter cup of water, two-thirds of a cup of oil. Don't get caught up on the amounts that I'm putting in here. I'm giving you a parable. I'm giving you an object lesson to understand that there are ingredients, there are components to a justified life. 
There are components that God brings to the table. You bring brokenness. God enables you to have faith. God gives you faith. You must respond in faith, giving your life to Jesus Christ, receiving Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Look at Romans 23. Uh, 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, are made so that it's just as if you'd never sinned by, the gra- by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at that, justified by his grace. God has given to you and me, if you're justified, if it's just as if all of your sins were removed, if it's just as if You've never sinned. God has given you a healthy portion of his grace, which is absolutely essential. A requirement, a significant component, a key ingredient to a justified life. God has given you what you don't deserve. What don't you deserve? You don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. But when you have a broken and you have a contrite heart and you come to the Lord and you realize you have a significant need and by faith you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord as a gift of grace, the grace of God as the infant that you really are, incapable of giving yourself anything and doing anything for yourself. When you do that, God does something in your life. He makes it just as if you'd never sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's the bad news. And the good news is that you're justified freely by his grace, his undeserved favor. And all God's asking you to do, all he asks of me to do is to come and give him the broken heart, give him the broken pieces. See, many of us are embarrassed because of the things we did. No, your embarrassment is your gift to God. Your shortcoming, your shortfall is the exact thing that validates, that proves the significance of the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave so much so that he gave the ultimate gift, the gift of his one and only uniquely brought forth son and whoever would believe in him, you. That friend that you've been praying for, Jesus died for. That family member you've been praying for, Jesus died for. That family member you feel is not worthy to be prayed for, you need to repent. Because their sin is no worse than your sin. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed the bullseye. That's why we needed somebody to come in and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. His name is Jesus. Look what Romans says in Romans 3, 25. Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, another million-dollar legal theological word, the atoning sacrifice, the one-for-one sacrifice, the substitute for you. That's what propitiation is. God presented Jesus in your place to provide the forgiveness of sin. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received again by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in this divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. But not anymore. Look what God does. He gives us an atoning sacrifice 
through Jesus Christ who hung on a cross so that you and I can not only enjoy Betty Crocker soft and delicious moist brownies, but so that you and I could live a justified life. So that you could say it's just as if I've never sinned. Even though I fall short of the glory of God, and we all do, we've all done dark things, terrible things. Some of us, more dark things, more terrible things than others. But the truth is, every single one of us, by God's standard, missed the mark. And that's the point. That's why we needed God to do something. We needed him to provide the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for every single one of our sins. See, that's what God does. Not what we do. That's what God does. When we have faith, when we have brokenness, when God gives us grace, God gives us the atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, it all mixes up beautifully to give us something called justification. It's just as if you'd never sinned. (laughs) How about that? When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, that's what he was talking about. That's what was finished. Every single one of your sins was nailed to the cross, not in part, but in whole. So that you can say truly, honestly, with clarity, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Even though I fell short of the glory of God and missed God's standard, the truth is that now, through what God has done, not what I have done, through the righteousness of God, as a gift of God, I have faith in Jesus Christ that what he did on the cross is sufficient. I have faith in Jesus Christ that who he is is the almighty son of God, God himself, God in the flesh, the fullness of deity living in bodily form as the scriptures say. And when you accept Christ, you accept everything Jesus did for you. You accept everything Jesus wants to do for you and God makes you just as if you'd never sinned that although your sin kept you separate from God and you were headed to an eternal destiny away from his presence, through the goodness of God, through the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God, all that God does mixes together and makes you justified, makes anybody justified. God takes away every single one of your sins. We bring to him brokenness. He gives us faith. He gives us grace and he's provided the atoning sacrifice. God has brought it all because God loves you so much. How much? That much. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.